13 Questions by Man Transcending Manhood in the Digital Age Welcome back to another episode of 13 Questions. This time we have Chance Garten with us for the interview. Uh, but before we get to that portion, I have with me, as always, Adam. Adam, how are you? Phenomenal, Bill. How are you doing today? Pretty good, especially after talking to Chance, dude. That was a amazing interview, as you know, as always. Um, yeah, I feel like after this interview, we, you and I are uh, on the same page more than ever before. I feel like we have we have become the same book. Yeah, it was definitely like a lot of yeah. It was so it was cool. Um, you guys will enjoy this one a lot. Uh, I reached out to all well, I found Interverse is is also a part of uh, Interverse podcast is, is Chance's podcast is part of Alt Media United, uh, which is a conglomeration, a conglomeration. It's a completely voluntary organization that Mark, Mark Palmer, Steve Jr. kind of uh, oversees, right? So we're all kind of in this collective. 13 Questions is a part of Alt Media United. So is Interverse. And there's a page where you can connect to, you know, find out, find out all the other podcasts that are also in this uh, kind of collective. So I reached out, found Chance and checked him out and reached, reached out to him, asked him to come on the show. And of course he said, yes, we talk about it a little bit towards the end of the conversation, but I'm loving his, his uh, telegram community. That seems to be pretty popping. So yeah, it was a great, great interview. Um, we covered we, we just jumped right into the deep end, like right off the bat. So I guess we'll just, well, I'm not even going to try to speculate or try to you know talk about that during the intro. We'll just save all that juicy bits for the uh, interview section. Adam, you had a little piece of housekeeping that you wanted to address, didn't you? Oh, no, uh, not per se housekeeping, um, but in relation to the, the guest, he, he just kept, uh, I don't know how to put this. Um, it's something that he mentioned or the way he was speaking. It, it reminded me and made me think very much of David Lynch and him speaking of transcendental meditation. And I keep thinking back to, he did a video. We actually did, um, uh, Andreas, the previous guest that we've had on 13 questions came on my other podcast, uh, cat in the box. And we did this deep dive. I found so many crosses and correlations into remote viewing and into transcendental meditation and, but into this episode, I kept getting brought back into it. The, the, as above the, so below the, the finding yourself going down in, um, and point is, uh, I was very much reminded of this and David Lynch has just, just recently came out in the news. He's doing this, uh, initiative in which they're going to be teaching transcendental meditation to people. It's a $500 million a fund that is being created to to do this to teach people at colleges and university, and it is such an amazing thing to see a person like David Lynch who who speaks very highly and often of the importance of this in in his way of thinking and how how it, it's it's changed his life and he wants to bring that to other people. So yeah, I wanted to put that out there. I will definitely be finding a link and putting that into the show notes. Um, and the same thing to link back to that podcast. Um, if you're interested in transcendental meditation, it's something that I'm highly, incredibly um, interested in, but have never found a practitioner to to lead me into it. So uh, I'm completely rambling here. Uh, but 
No, I think that we touched on transcendental meditation in the Dean Radin interview a little bit too. We did. And yeah, it, it seems like, <laughs> Hey, you know, the truth of the world is that everything's kind of tied to some, some core truths and being. So uh, transcendental meditation seems to be a way to, to find your true self and your true voice. Now, isn't there some kind of like a critical mass number that if a certain amount of people do this, that it will then have an effect on a globally and it's something to uh, along the census reality the square root of you know one. prayer prayer in groups no. you know the power of eight is more the more powerful than the power of one so there has to be thresholds you know there is the hundred monk hundredth monkey syndrome there are these things that propagate out so yeah just changing your way of thinking and your which changes your way of being and that energy can propagate out uh so i'm probably sounding like I'm speaking in certitudes here or certain a word that I don't know, but certainly means something that's certain. Well, I'm certain that you have the gratitude jingle up and ready to go. So do you want to do that real quick before moving? Gratitude, 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 oh, gratitude. Gratitude, 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 oh, gratitude. Well, Bill, are you uh, teed up and ready to go, or would you I, like me to uh, to dive in? I think I have. I think I have one ready to go that kind of tied into the med- transcendental meditation. Actually, um, not only does my gratitude start with M, but you can also use it to meditate. Um, it's moldavite or metaphysical properties of stones, uh, in particular moldavite. Um, I had actually mentioned moldavite on a past episode. I think it was the Amish Phil intro and talked about sugalite also in that intro, but I wanted to readdress moldavite because Ellie just made a uh, necklace for me to wear my piece of moldavite. So I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for a lot of things today, actually. So you're going to get more than one, but uh, particularly the metaphysical property of Moldavite. I have this handy dandy, uh, the Encyclopedia of Crystals by Judy Hall book that a friend of the show, Ben Walsmith, left behind when he came to visit uh, me for a few weeks recently. Uh, He's episode 49, if you want to check that out. But according to uh, this encyclopedia, uh, there's a bigger X script here, but I'm just going to read this uh, little line. It says, Moldavite is a useful stone for people who find it difficult being an incarnation on Earth, and it assists in developing detachment from security issues such as money and worries for the future, providing an overview of reasons for incarnating and spiritual purposes and integrating this into earthly life. Moldavite releases fixed ideas and outworn belief systems and can neutralize hypnotic commands instilled in the past. So this ties in a lot with the, uh, the interview, especially when it uh, addresses security issues such as uh, money or creating the future. So yeah, I'm super grateful for for Moldavite, I'm grateful for Ben for this encyclopedia, for Ellie for making me the necklace. Um, and uh, oh, yeah, speaking of metaphysical properties of 
crystals and stones and, and, and whatnot, we do have an affiliate link with Metaphysical Wares, which is Derek Condict's store. Derek is on episode 50 of 13 Questions. Definitely check that out if you haven't. And if you're into stones and crystals and such, use the link uh, on our website to, uh, to get to Derek's store and buy some goodies, and you'll help support the show that way. So yeah, that's my gratitude segment. What, like, I'll stop talking now. What is your gratitude? <laughs> Mine feels decidedly different and selfishly worldly, especially after the conversations that we've had today. But in, in a world where I spend my mind diving and spending a lot of time on these deep, deep questions, the as above, so below s questions that pretty much center around that and then branch into every aspect of life. And one of the things that I love is not distraction, but focus that can improve skill in which that skill can be seen other places and then can affect other places of your life. And this probably isn't a good way of explaining it, but uh, I've recently dived back into playing video games and one very specific game, Halo Infinite. And when I was gifted this Xbox, my controls, the new system, I, I mean, last time I was on joystick and on a, or on just like a, an N64 controller, which I still have in here and play occasionally, but a single system. And when you go to having your look and movement be uh, different, your brain, my brain was not mapped, not wired, not connected to do this well. And so I've been getting better and better and able to tweak and hone my controls in to be more sensitive and becoming um, to finally at the point where I'm mastering this. But what I've also seen is other aspects of my life where I challenge myself uh, when I'm moving around. Um, if I'm holding a pen, I'll be throwing a pen between my hands and trying to catch it, closing my eyes, making it more challenging. And I'm finding that those little things, the motor skill of being able to do that has improved along that same skill threshold. My typing accuracy and speed has excelled in that same direction. And, and I love to see this, this as above aspect that this, this lower fine tuning skill is impacting these other things that I do in life. And it, it makes me wonder and think how far those things go out um, in the way of the, the seven rings, the, the idea that to, to excel in one thing, you must excel in other things. And so from the very worldly aspect of challenging myself within a false reality, a world in which I'm in that same false reality with other people, but somehow that is impacting my physical ability to interface with the world around me in a more efficient way, whether that's mental, physical, I, I am, I am grateful to be able to have something like that because it, I, I, ultimately I am grateful to acknowledge that. Because otherwise, I would not want to be spending time in that, in the time of thinking that it's completely guilty. Meaning, if I'm improving and getting better, and I'm doing this in all aspects of my life, they're all going to be reflective of one another. 
Yeah, so. it's, it's a hologram, right? You change one aspect in a hologram, it's going to be reflected in other aspects of, you know, the the nature of the universe. But it, it reminds me of our last interview we had with uh, Miguel Connor and changing habits. Like you're you're observing the the process of what happens when you change one little bit of something in one spot especially in relation to a habit and then how is that reflected in all the other facets of your existence right that's mm-hmm. it's awesome but yeah check out the miguel connor episode if you haven't done that yet and send in your audio be part of the show ask questions of your own friends if you want to do it ask us more send us your guest lists ask us questions add to the list Tell us your experience. Tell us your story. You are a light into the world and shine light upon those things that you want to see grow because plants will not grow without that light. And that's us. That's, that's this community. So if you have somebody in your life that you know that you want to ask these questions to, you should. And if you want to record it, then and share it, that knowledge, we should do that too. So if you are finding value from anything that you have heard here today, uh, please con- uh, can consider uh, sharing the show with other people so that we can get the word out and reach more more listeners and expand our our audience. And if, if you would be so inclined as to donate monetarily, we do have a PayPal option on the website available for one-time donations. Uh, that is also an option for you to give back to the website or to the website uh, to get back to the show through the website. Um, you'll also find all the affiliate links that we have on the website, uh, which now speaking of affiliates, uh, we do have a new affiliate with Aura Cacao. So if you're a fan of cacao and doing it ceremoniously and with intention, definitely check out the the episode with uh, Jonas Ketterl. Um, it's definitely one of my favorite ones so far. And besides that, I think that's it, and you're going to enjoy this episode. Yes. Thank you for joining us for 13 Questions. Ah, it's a really fun one. 13 Questions with Chance Garton. What was the best advice ever given to you? And would you modify it at all today? Wow. (laughs) When, when it comes to these questions and it's like the best or the most ever things like that, you know, the answer might change from day to day, but I couldn't tell you exactly who gave me this advice or where I heard it. I would say it is most important in life though, in terms of advice to truly follow your highest excitement. And what does that actually mean? What does that look like? To me, I've kind of modified that statement for myself. And it's something you can kind of ask your body, which is that if an option is coming up and it is not a 100% hell yes, then it's actually a hell no. So that is like the metric for following your highest excitement. And you can live your life that way. You can actually follow... Only what is most 
important important to you and the most fun really fun is a big part of excitement if that is a better way of putting it so yeah uh if you are able to follow the highest excitement if you're able to say no to things that aren't 100% hell yes as much as possible and nobody's going to be perfect about that you can see how universe will actually modify its offerings and your boundaries that you've set will generate an entirely different life experience for you really quickly. So if it ain't a hell yes, it's a hell no. Do you have any like different uh, or a favorite modality to, to help uh, discern what option to take, like flipping a coin or is like, how do you just uh, ask your inner, your high self and wait for an answer? Like, how do you get uh, like, what's your process? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, I guess you you could go with the old classic, you know, if it's a multiple choice, your first answer is your best answer. (laughs) That often could work. But the journey to getting more in tune with your intuition is something we are continually progressing upon. And there's never going to be like a point where necessarily you've perfected that skill. And life is always going to offer options. But uh, another good way of looking at it is why are you doing a thing? You know, you're doing it out of care, which is a function of love and self-love. You know, is it something that makes you feel like you have more possibilities, infinite possibilities? A way of thinking about it is like, if you're ever in a situation in life and you're feeling like there's only one way that you can go and you're worried or scared about any other outcome, you might want to reconsider your course or at the very least your mindset and perspective because when we're operating out of love and when we really love life and we're really in that hell yes flow state, our minds tend to give us, instead of monkey mind chatter, a stream of the infinite possibilities as options in your mind like, I could do this or I could do that. And you just start rapid fire in the flow state having all kinds of ideas that are exciting. And at that point, it it almost doesn't matter what you pick because as infinite beings, uh, we're going to get around to experiencing it all eventually. But if we're feeling really limited, if we're feeling uninspired, that comes across on the mental plane as, you know, self-defeating chatter or restricted feelings of, I don't have options. So a good way to know if you're in a good perpetual flow state of synchronicity is to have your mind offering options and imaginative possibilities instead of feeling restricted or limited. I like it. So you, so what I'm gathering is by allowing your mind to play out certain uh, scenarios, not being restricted by limitations which you you may impose on yourself that uh that gives you the freedom to kind of move beyond what you thought was a limitation to begin with and kind of check that option you know be able to assign a value judgment to whatever option you're considering at that time does that make sense yeah a simple way of putting it is that love is the force of expansion and it's our natural state to expand so the object of love, whatever it is that we love, and really the only love that exists is self-love because all is self, that love state is always going to nurture 
the infinite possibilities in whatever it is we care about, ourself importantly, most of all. And the fear energy is the opposite. It's the restrictive, constricting force. So whenever we're in fear, we tend to collapse our potentials down to just one outcome, and that's what has to happen, or we feel like we're not going to be okay. So that's another good way of looking at it. If you are, <laughs> and this definitely can apply to like relationships, which is a, a tricky place for it to apply, but important because it's where it's most obscured. You know, if you, um, if you are like, I have to have this person or my life is ruined, that could probably indicate some sort of codependency or at the very least that there's an attachment that needs to be released. Not necessarily that the relationship needs to end, but that reframing our perspective on it can allow for us to expand too. Because when we're in that state and like, we need this person, we need them to be this way for us to be okay. Well, we're also restricting in our mind, in our manifestation projector, the ways that that other person can express, evolve and exist, if that makes sense. So releasing that attachment, finding a way to be, uh, to not need, but instead just be grateful and love and allow for whatever change that needs to happen to come across without trying to control, that is generally going to be the way to go. I would say always. That reminds me very much of uh, hearing David Lynch talk on transcendental meditation on the effect of after you go in, you know, down and find yourself that you start to see all the other connections to other people. And it just, it changes your connection to the rest of the world. Once you, you fundamentally understand that self connection and that love of self. Yeah, that's absolutely it. So when I say that the only kind of love is self love, it doesn't mean that you can't act lovingly to other people, but how I consider it is that if you truly love self, like the capital S self, the imperial self, the I am that is inherent to all beings that exist and everything and every part of the universe. Well, then you're also loving <laughs> all of universe. But whenever you're trying to externalize love and you're putting other people or an outcome on a pedestal and it must be that way for you to feel like you are in love or love life, that's actually where things are getting restricted. So, if you have true self-love, then you can then you will do what is necessary for yourself to take care of yourself. And then that ability to express care will apply to the world as well. So if you love yourself, then you can care about the world. I think we have mixed up in society love and care quite a bit. I mean, we're really limited by just the number of words we have for these concepts in our particular language. And when you think about anything creative, anything you want to generate in the world, any project or any invention that has ever come come out into the reality, it's always occurred because there was care. What you care about gets done and it's done well. This applies to like the myth of talent as well. Like we have aptitudes for things for sure. They're things that we, uh, but that has to do with if we care about it or not. <laughs> like the difference between you and your heroes and maybe an artist, for example, a painter that you really admire their work instead of calling them talented and thinking to yourself, I could never do that. I don't have that talent. 
Instead, consider all of the dedication and time and effort that went into them developing that craft and how that required them to really care about what they're doing in order to put in the time and know that the difference between you and your heroes is just that they've put in the time and effort to become or to create whatever it is that you admire about their life and see how you can apply care to something and watch it grow and build a container for that care to be funneled and channeled into and see how the value of that vessel grows over time. If that makes sense. It it does make sense. And I only pause there just because uh, talking about these subjects can be so hard, but I'm glad that you brought up the, I am because I'm actually, I am actually reading that I am discourses that was recommended to me uh, to the, you know, to anybody who listened to the show really by uh, Dr. Bear Lando. And that's has to do with uh, St. Germain and, and his teachings, I guess is, is one word for it, but he's, he's uh, I'm going through this book, right. And then I, I try to read a, what do they call it? A discourse a day, I guess. And one of them, the one that popped out for me this morning um, kind of fits. So I'm just going to read the little, blurb that uh, stuck out to me it says uh no one in the outer consciousness can possibly know what the quote i am god presence in the other individual wishes to do these are vital truths that if maintained would bring very great peace into the lives of individuals so with with that i guess the point of me reading that is is, is Peace and um, freedom as two parts of the equation uh, to to happiness, I would say. So, in order to secure uh, that peace within ourselves and for others, acknowledging the I am presence in them and finding peace in that kind of um, reassures us because we know. I mean, that's the only active presence. In, in in the universe so how can it fail right so in speaking of failing when things do fail if the in, in the next paragraph here i put it down but pick it back up real quick if i can find it he says uh because you, you were talking about businesses and being and uh being creative and oh i lost the spot where'd it go oh well, i like i like that a lot because when you when he says that you can never know what the I am presence wants that's in the outer consciousness of other beings. That's perfect because a lot of what a lot of what we do and what we misconstrue as love or relationship is that we are trying to discern what the other wants, but what we're also trying to do is modify our behavior and in some way attempt to play out a control drama so that we can influence the other to want what we want them to want, which is usually what we want. (laughs) But if we can release that and instead change our desire or modify our perspective so that it is in that love and an expansion state and accept that whatever happens is what's meant to happen and whatever they want, allow for that without needing it to be a certain particular way. And then paradoxically, we're going to get what we wanted anyway, which is love because we're the one allowing for love to exist in the sense that the infinite potential of the I am in the other and in the external is being honored and recognized instead of it needing to be 
what we think that it needs to be, which is the fear mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head and I'm glad that, you know, we have language to, to wrap our heads around it. It's because these topics are super, I mean, I find them challenging like, to, to talk about, I can understand them and conceptualize them, but then trying to like regurgitate, I don't know, regurgitate is the right word. Right. But uh, like to put thought into words is something that I, you know, maybe struggle with sometimes, especially when it comes to, you know, logoic um concepts so you know how can you talk about things something that's not supposed to be talk aboutable like ineffable right it's just the paradox thing i love that you brought up paradox because finding that paradoxes have something to do with you know uh the nature of our reality it seems but yeah question two uh, what do you willfully ignore this is a tougher one to answer but I think um, it actually ties into the first question pretty well. So I have a tendency because of everything we just talked about in the first one to sometimes actually not voice uh, my preference or my boundary about things. And that can be important too. So it's all right to have preference in a sense. Like, you know, you can express what it is that feels like the most exciting option to you or express to uh, another being in relationship how much they mean to you or what you hope for out of that relationship. And that can be done in a way that isn't limiting. But sometimes I have a tendency to ignore expressing those preferences because of my, uh, on the other hand, like in terms of question one, my intent to not limit or not pressure or not manipulate a situation or another person so there is like a fine line and a balance because if we're leaving things unexpressed from within ourselves, that can be its own form of constriction. Absolutely. Um, it is, I, I can relate because I mean, I'm finding it, uh, as you can tell with this podcast, right? My, my, uh, my uh, throat, my throat chakra, I guess is, is, is blocked. There's having, you know, expressing our, preferences and needs can be difficult and uncomfortable sometimes. Right. So I can relate. <laughs> yeah. So uh, how old are you, Bill? 33. Hey, me too. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Just turned 33. Awesome. So actually in terms of development of your spiritual centers, the ages between 28 and 35 are about developing throat chakra. So Maybe to reframe it for yourself, instead of thinking my throat chakra is blocked because that actually, that belief actually sets up the energetic uh, situation for it to be true. Maybe reframe it to yourself that my throat chakra is currently under renovation and development and upgrade and improvement, if that makes sense. So instead of seeing it as blocked, think like every time that you feel a little bit of a um, friction and expression go into that. And even if it takes time, even if it takes a moment for the expression to come through and come out, instead of thinking, oh man, I'm blocked right now, think, okay, this is a moment of I'm adding another piece to the jigsaw puzzle of the perfection of this part of my being. Yeah, dude, that's super helpful. Um, absolutely. Reframing it, reauthorizing it. I should definitely focus more on that. And I didn't know 
the thing about the age range. So Adam, just out of curiosity, did you have any, you know, uh, experiences with like, I don't know, finding your voice, I guess, between what did you say? 28 and 33 or 35? What? Yeah. 28 to 35. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Um, yeah, probably. I have to see when friends to know first, uh, first aired, but yeah, there was certainly a prime time in there. You know, I've always kind of dabbled in radio and different things, but that's really, really when I started jumping in deep. So yeah, I'd say so. What's cool about throat chakra is it's more than just about expressing your emotions, expressing truth. It has a lot more superpowers involved in it than that, because what we can do with the voice is very tied to the logos itself. So like advanced ideas about the throat chakra that come from say like Peruvian shamanism say things like that the throat chakra once it's really fully developed or further developed it actually has superpowers involved in it from everything to uh, <laughs> like altering or manifesting reality in the way that is in alignment with your highest truth as opposed to just expressing your highest truth and even things like um, becoming invisible. I mean, maybe not literally, but learning how to uh, exist and express and shine and radiate in such a way that uh, you're not drawing a spotlight onto yourself from forces that are against your highest good. And that's a tricky dynamic to explain, but it has to do with the purity of intent in what it is that you're setting out to manifest through your logos, through your speech. And when in full alignment and with the rest of your energy centers also in strong alignment, uh, you can do very powerful things without the resistance from, you know, the powers that should not be. And it has to do with a good way of looking at it is, you can do anything in the world that you want. You can change the world in any way that you see as best and fit, as long as you're willing to let other people take the credit. Yeah, it's kind of, um, you have to assign the glory to, I don't know if that's the right terminology or not, but not to um, to keep your, your, I don't know, your ego in check, I guess. Because when you do manifest these things and these things do start to happen, right? Like having that, um, the foreknowledge to, to realize it's not you, right? It's the, I am outside of yourself that is, is what is causing all the flow to, to be the way you want it to be. Right. The, I am that is within and outside of yourself. And paradoxically, it's not really outside of yourself because all of the external is in the mental plane, the world is in your head, not literally your head, but within your consciousness. So part of that collapsing the wave particle duality uh, thing about spirituality that is important to this journey is realizing that uh, it's safe to assign the credit, so to speak, to God or to source or to the supreme being, but not to do that in a way that limits you yourself by creating a separation between yourself and Supreme being instead recognizing that Supreme being is 
not a noun. It's not a character. It's not a, something or somebody out there. It is the I am. It is the sense of existing that permeates all of reality. It reminds me of another part in this book. Um, I'll just touch on briefly um, without reading it. St. Germain was talking about how the OM, the O-M versus the I or the I am and the differences between the two. And the OM is kind of lacking the creative aspect that the I am encompasses. And if you get, I guess, the way I would uh, kind of explain it is if you get to the end of the ohm chant you still have the m like the ohm the that tone right you can do all the vowels and cover all the bases right with the i am and still get to the same place as you end with the ohm but you're you're adding in the that other aspect which is yourself right where you're including yourself in the i am so is that kind of uh, jiving with what you were saying does that make sense yeah, it does, because we're talking about the principle of gender now. Hey, listen. The ohm and the I'm, they are the white and the black of the yin-yang, right? You have the I and the O. The I is the pole and the O is the whole. We're talking about the generative principle here. We're talking about male and female. And so the I'm is more of the creative force, is the yang energy. I did that. I'm doing this. The ohm is like the container for that. It's like the feminine. It's the vessel. It's the womb. And realizing that whether male or female, you have both components within you. I'm ohm. <laughs> That's kind of the collapsing of the duality. And the M, the M is interesting just because it's like the only, as far as I know, it's the only letter or consonant sound that you don't mm, have to use your tongue for. Right. So it is about that spaciousness and that openness inside in the throat chakra mouth hole area. And M is also interesting because it's the 13 in terms of gematria and letters. The 13 being uh, the, you know, the 12 of the archetypal zodiacal construct around the one, which is the sun or the self or the conscious mind or ego. So I'm Ohm is like saying that is helping your ego realize that it is not separate from either side of the generative principle. And that's amazing. Like, thank you for, for sharing and pointing that out. Um, I've never thought that before. So I'm pretty well, glad to have come to that realization just now myself. Thank you. Yeah, I guess St. Germain's helping us out, right? Adam, do you have any thoughts? No, I, it's just, yeah, I, nothing offhand. Okay. <laughs> Question number three, what book has been most influential on your life and why? Well, I've read a lot of books, so that's a tough question. Is it okay that two are coming into mind right now? Yeah. Okay. So one is definitely a classic for the, you know, new agers out there. <laughs> Not that I self-identify as a new ager, but it's definitely part of that zeitgeist. Have you read the Celestine Prophecy? No, but I watched the movie like two weeks ago and I have the book like right below the shelf, like right here in front of me. <laughs> so I've never seen the movie. I can't speak on how well it captures and conveys the spirit of the book. And, you know, the book isn't perfect. There are some 
cosmological things that are a bit mainstream that I don't agree with necessarily in the story, but that's forgivable because almost everything out there follows the same general cosmology handed to us by scientism to a degree. But what is really useful about that book or what was for me in my life and has continued to be so because it comes back around perennially at different points in my, my journey uh, is that is the following of synchronicity leading you to your spiritual uh, truth and to like, so that book has so many different insights. It's all about these 10 different insights and it leads the reader from recognizing that everything that happens in their life is part of synchronicity to uh, learning about building up your energy and the realization and truth that to get the synchronicities into a place of being exciting instead of kind of dark and uh, unfortunate <laughs> misfortune, bad luck. Uh, the key is to build up your personal energy and it gives some good tools and practices and, and fictional, but real world things that one can do to build up their energy. And once you build up your energy and hold more of that self of that light in your vessel, then the synchronicities will flow more quickly and be more exciting and eventually lead you to what is probably the most important component of the book. And that is to remember, remember the question. What is the question that you incarnated into this life in order to answer? And it's going to be a question that's personal and unique to you. Maybe other people are also working on that question, but it's something that no matter how far in your journey you go, you will continue to reveal more insights and more ways of looking at that personal question of why I'm here, what I'm here to solve, what I'm here to do. And that one question is expansive and infinite. When you look at everything in universe, especially if you're considering it as an electrical universe, we have this pattern of dendritic growth, like how a tree branch it starts as just this one line and then branches come out of it and then branches come out of that. Or like the way that a pattern of lightning striking from cloud to ground has these dendritic branches or the blood vessels in your, in your body looks like this. It's across the board. This pattern's everywhere. And questions are like that because if you ask a question and you look for the answer or you find an answer, that answer actually leads you to more questions. So following the questions that are most important to you and looking for answers is always going to lead you further and further infinitely like a choose your own adventure, right? So the asking questions part of reality instead of holding one dogma and thinking you've solved everything and that you don't need any more truth seeking or whatever. I mean, you can come to some realizations about higher truths that you accept and that they stay firmly rooted in your reality tunnel. But, you know, every question leads to an answer, which leads to new questions, which leads to an answer, which leads to new questions. And then this way, when you quest with the eye on, <laughs> you are in the flow and path of continually expanding, which is what life does and what existence is about.
Yeah, I, I love it. Well, also the idea that, you know, we know evolution is a thing, but people don't think that everything, including the world around you, could be on that same track of increasing in complexity. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing to to see that, you know, there there may no, not be a plateau, that you're more on the the precipice. That sounds good. Yeah, there's always uh, there's always more climbing to do. Uh, life is kind of like a game of shoots and ladders. <laughs> it's infinite stairs going up, and it, it you could also ride the slide all the way down. And sometimes, paradoxically, hitting what feels like rock bottom actually punches you through to a higher level at the top. Not that you should necessarily seek rock bottom, but there are some there are some paths out there where that seems to be the goal. Well, rock bottom's going to give you a different angle of view that you wouldn't have before. So it's one of those, you know, as above, so belows that. Uh, yeah, the bottom you, is the top. Yeah, exactly. You can always, you can always, uh, your parents can teach you what to do or what not to do. And you can take the best of both situations. So, you know, it's the same flip side of the coin. Yeah. And, and the whole concept reminds me of like Indra's web, that idea that really what we are as beings and consciousness are explorers of the void that the pleroma or the all that is is also a void because in the undifferentiated state of oneness that we come from it might as well be nothing as much as it is something in the sense that if there is no distinction definition or differentiation then there is no thing no thingness right and so there's the paradox and a big part of a spiritual path. I mean, there's many books I could talk about that have been most influential to me. Another one would be Straw Man, The True Story of Your Artificial Person by Clint Richardson, where he talks about how noun, I mean, he talks about many things. It's a huge book, but he talks about how nouns do not exist. There's no such thing as a person, place, or a thing. And that is a very helpful conceptualization spiritually and also as it applies to the legal realm and legal sorcery <laughs> that has been keeping humanity um, living in the belief, the false reality of separation from nature, which is impossible. We are nature, so we're never separate from it. But if we believe that we are, if we create these separations in our mind, then we'll act as if we are. And so functionally, it is similar to being separate, even though we're not. So we're as explorers of the void what you said made me think about this, how, you know, you can see other beings show you what to do or what not to do. That's kind of what the whole journey has been. Every ancestor that's ever come. And even what we're doing here is we are spreading like that dendritic pattern across a great and infinite chasm. And our DNA is like this bridge of information that shows us what is over here or what's over there. And we're mapping out the infinite, which is a never-ending process. Absolutely. Not too many people, I don't think, know about the Clint Richardson Strawman book. I'm the only other person that I know of, like I've come across, to have referenced and known about this book. Like, Have you read? I bought it years ago. I've never read it. Or, I mean, I never finished it because... like, it, It's you know, huge. It, yeah. Have you? Did you read the whole thing? I think I've read about 700 pages of the 11 or 1200. Wow. So <laughs> I have not read it all. 
Although, you know, I'll get to it eventually. It's kind of more like a Bible to study rather than something to try to sit and power through. Yeah. But I've had Clint on my own podcast about, I don't know, four or five times. Really? And he's a good buddy. Awesome. He's a great guy. Okay, cool. Because, yeah, I'd like to get him on 13 questions. But, yeah, I'd... I didn't know that this book was still like he was still around doing stuff. So yeah, that's awesome. I can't. If you get him on, let me know because I'd love to check that out. I'd like to hear him talk about things outside of his normal purview of research and specific questions that are typically asked of him and subject matter for podcasts. That would be cool. Right on. Yeah, I will try to make that happen. And I love the whole the the what you said about um, quest questing with your eye on like that breaking down. I'm a huge fan of breaking down words and etymology and i never thought of question that way so thank you for that a little bit too <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and I'll, I'll give you clint's email if you guys want it he's very accessible for interviews he likes to do them sure yeah um yeah we'll we'll exchange that after we get through the interview um question number four what rule do you have for yourself that you never break and why do you think that it's important Oh, man. (laughs) I don't know if there's any rule I've ever made for myself that I didn't break at some point. So it may take me a moment to circle around to a a proper answer for this. But uh, I think that I guess what's coming to mind first answer is always the best, right? With multiple choice. The rule that I try not to break for myself is uh, don't be too hard on myself mentally. Because there's always going to be mistakes or missteps. There's always going to be a falling off of the wagon, metaphorically, at some point or another. Um, Well, I say always. Even that is a limiting belief. (laughs) But it can happen, right? So a good rule that I like to hold for myself is that whatever outcome I generate or manifest, whatever step I take, be it a misstep or not, I, whenever I catch myself with that almost like demonic perspective of like, you suck, you're a piece of shit. Why'd you do that? You're horrible. Uh, and I, I catch that in my mind. My rule is to shut that down, right? Because it's not helpful or necessary. And we're really trained to have that type of self-deprecating mental chatter uh, and self-limiting mental chatter. So for me, it is definitely a rule for myself that I, find very important not to break to whenever anything like that comes up to state the opposite to myself and state why that isn't true. You know, it's kind of like, I guess, practicing forgiveness in a way. Yeah. That's something that I'm also working on, right? Is uh, I like to think of it as using the sword or the, the sword of truth to pare away anything that is not in conformity with the I am right. And because we are our own toughest critics, right? Being hard on ourselves. And so, yeah, trying to uh, take that moment to remind yourself to be kind to yourself is the hardest, like one of the hardest things to do, um, I'm finding, right? Because uh, being compassionate towards yourself is is one of uh, the things that Greg Braden talks about in his book, Divine Matrix. Have you, are you familiar with Greg Braden? I'm sure I've heard that name, but I've not really gone into his work or checked out that book. Yeah, uh, definitely give that a, a glance. So yeah, dude, I 
that's I actually have a message in my phone uh, on the lock screen. It says, be kind to yourself. And I don't, I don't ever pay attention to it because I'm never on my lock screen. Right. So maybe I should change that. <laughs> well, what you said is great because you use the metaphor of the warrior talking about the sort of truth to pare away the, um, you know, <laughs> infected branches of the tree, if you will. That's kind of what we're here to do as gardeners of this particular uh, aspect of reality that trees, if we're talking about the garden metaphor, they can't remove the constricting and parasitic vines and things that might start to grow on them on their own. We are able to do that. We're able to make that discernment. And that is a power of free will. You know, it comes at a cost of also having the free will power to not remove the parasitic branches or even to inflict harm purposefully. But another aspect of the metaphor. For this particular idea of watching your thoughts and not allowing certain things through or not believing or accepting certain things when they show up would be to consider yourself like a, an archer on the wall, like Helm's Deep in, in the two towers, the Lord of the Rings. And each of those, those negative or self-limiting thoughts or hateful things that is coming at you is like an orc and you're legolas and you, you see it and you shoot it down with an arrow of truth, which is some sort of uh, af affirmation that reminds yourself of why that ugly thing isn't really the truth. The limiting thing isn't really the truth and that you love yourself and that actually your potential is far greater than whatever that particular false belief would state to you. Yeah. It's something that uh, Dr. Bear pointed out was that warrior archetype not only applies to, you know, the outside manifestation if you will but it you know going to um the warrior on the inside right taking responsibility and authorizing what thoughts are going to come in to your reality because it's ultimately what you're going to manifest and i think that's a really important archetype to to keep in mind especially when you know we're talking about questions like this podcast brings up so question five if I were to ask your best friend, what is the one thing they would say you need to work on the most and why? Yeah, I think that I can answer that one pretty easily. I have a tendency of being really busy, of creating big to-do lists in my mind. And I'm, I'm lucky to have a best friend that has a different way of looking at that stuff, who is a very, very proficient and accomplished flow stater of getting lots of stuff done in a productive way. But her way of looking at it is like options instead of must do or to do list. <laughs> this is the wheel of possibilities rather than you got to do all this stuff where you failed. So I've learned that it's really easy to configure your energy field, your energy body into the, the pattern of overdoing it, of doing too much or feeling overstretched or overreached. Yet, at the same time, you could do all the things that you're doing, or even more and better potentially, without having that particular stress on your energy body. And that shows up in places like the right hip or the third eye. Um, you know, we haven't touched on this, but I am into sound healing and using tuning forks to help people balance their auric field and their chakras. And so there are certain places in the energy body where this particular like busyness thing shows up where we feel like we're overly stressed by how busy we are. And a recent client actually 
like helped me learn how this dynamic applies to the third eye really well in the sense that, you know, he, he's an achiever, very much a, a big overachiever, not in a, I say overachiever, but not in a bad way, but maybe comparatively to most people in the world and what they get done in a day. And I'm all about that. Go, go, go lifestyle. I have an airy son, so <laughs> I have a lot of that do stuff energy, but it is self-sabotaging and self-defeating to feel like you are lacking or failing by not being able to fit all the things that are on that mental to-do list into one day. So where that comes across in the third eye, for example, is like if you're spending a lot of time thinking about what you need to do next and what's coming up in the future and going over that to-do list, A, you're not in the present moment, and B, you are blocking the third eye or you're channeling all of its energy into that to-do list. Whereas if you could relax and let that go and just be in the present moment and do you know, what is best and most exciting for you in that moment and trust that, that your mind is going to remember the to-do list or maybe externalize it into a, a, like create like a pie chart of how you would ideally maybe divide your day or what options you have for the day and maybe make the pie chart divided based on what is most exciting is a bigger slice of the pie chart, something like that. But where you can release and relax and let go of the feeling of like, if I don't do all this, then I failed or I lack. Uh, because then third eye energy can go back into the imaginative aspect of what it's really meant to be doing, where then you're allowing for possibilities rather than constricting yourself down to one outcome. And that comes up, brings us back around to question one, you know, the difference between constricting yourself with fear of lack or need of something to be a certain way versus allowing yourself to be in love with the moment, which is all that is. So you're in love with the existence and not worried about if you're going to get it all done. Because at the end of the day, if you, you know, if you vanished off the face of the realm or, or died today, morbid idea, but everything that you thought needed to happen or that you must do in some way or another is going to get done or is going to happen or isn't, but didn't need to, wasn't vital for universe to continue existing. So tricky sometimes, especially for people that have a lot of ambition and have a lot of drive or really know what they want in life or have, you know, clear missions to let go of that, that very stressful to-do list and just trust that you're going to do what needs to be done when you need to do it. But that is big advice for me, very important and helpful. Um, for the friend I'm thinking of to be in my life because I get that uh, energy from this friend without even needing to necessarily discuss it. It helps me relax and let go of that particular pattern, although it is a strong pattern for me in particular. Yeah, I love the reframing of the to-do into options. Like Just that shift in words relaxes like takes off so much more attention you know because it's it's not like uh to do you know just the phraseology is not even the right word right but <laughs> it's casting spells with words and they get you know certain connotations enter into your brain and it becomes something that you're obligated to do instead of options right yeah it's like instead of to do can do <laughs> mm -hmm. well i think of um what carl sagan used to say if you want to uh if you want to make an apple pie, you have to create a universe. 
Like there's amazing things going on all around that that we're part of, but we see, can't see the forest through the trees of where we're at and how amazing some of the things that we do on a day-to-day basis are. I mean, that's absolutely true. Everything is everything. Question number six. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Hmm. That is a good question. <laughs> Could answer it in a lot of ways, but creatively, what I really like most is uh, complexity, I guess. I like to see, I like a lot of details that make up a whole. Like my particular style as an artist is one that doesn't necessarily have like traditional skill in terms of like realism or um, making things look like they do in quote unquote real life or impressions of things that other people make that are perfect and exact. Uh, I like the idea in terms of creativity that what we're putting our creative energy into in the form of time and attention, the more time and attention we can put into one particular container or vessel or an art piece, art project, uh, the more that that energy will become, you know, will live in that vessel. And so even without necessarily having traditional skill or training in a particular artistic modality, if we have, uh, if we come up with and devise a way to be able to spend a lot of time attention and addition of details and complexity into a particular vessel or a canvas or a piece of paper that regardless of our traditional skill level or lack thereof, that that particular piece of art will speak to other people. They will feel how much attention and energy and intention went into it. So like for me, I I make marker doodles that sometimes take me half a year I mean, I think the longest one ever sat, uh, not yet completed, was over a year for me. It's a big piece of paper. I draw out all the black lines. I kind of make my own coloring book. And I try to find a way to add as much small detail across the whole page as I can. And even though I am not necessarily skilled in the traditional methods of art, you know, I'm not painting a Mona Lisa, for example, the feeling that you get when you look at one of these pieces when it's done is like wow a lot went into that a lot is there you can't necessarily say what it is that gives you the feeling of like that's awesome but what is happening is that the viewer is able to sense and perceive and feel how much spiritual currency or attention went into that one piece so all of us have this ability it's just a matter of figuring out uh, and coming up with a method to channel a lot of energy into one thing and give it value. And the way to do that, we really got to stop channeling attention and energy, which is our value into things that are vampiric or a void or a whole, right? So if we think about how much time in our lives we've spent watching TV or something like that, or playing video games, those type of things, Um, there's not really any container for our attention energy in those things. Or if there is, it's going and channeled to something else. Kind of like the idea of getting loosed. (laughs) And we're no longer, we're not, we don't get to retain that value. So when it comes to like a canvas though, you could have that painting 10 years from now. And when you look at it, 
is actually going to have increased its value. So all this, all the energy, all of yourself that you poured into that thing, you get to keep and it appreciates over time because you appreciate it more over time. You look at that and you go, wow, I'm glad I made that. But you don't necessarily go look back at a TV show you watched and think 10 years later, wow, I'm glad I watched that. You're not getting that energy back. It's not retained. So uh, for me, it's really spiritually exciting or creatively exciting when I see other people's investment into a container for their spiritual energy or currency that they were able to lock all that energy into a thing and it appreciated it appreciated and I appreciate it. And that applies to all kinds of stuff. I mean, making a podcast is like that. I think I have over 300 things on my RSS feed at this point for interverse, different uh, interviews and such. And all of them are still there. None of that, none of that spiritual currency or energy is lost over time. And I appreciate more and more that I started it when I did because now I'm where I'm at now. And all that foundation that came before was required for me to get to the level of complexity and enjoyment that exists within this particular vessel for my attention as it is now. Yeah, I love that you brought up pod- podcasting because that's exactly how I feel about 13 questions is there's a vessel for sp- not, you know, just my spiritual you know, journey or, or whatever involvement, but it's Darren and, and Graham had this vision for, had his vision for it to be open source. And so if everybody can participate in it, so this, the creativity aspect that goes into collaborating and, and the, you know, behind the scenes aspects of producing and, you know, finding art and whatnot, the whole journey of what I've experienced so far has been you know, just amazing because I feel like this is not just a vessel for, for one individual, like one person didn't start this, right? There's like a community that got together and decided that, Hey, if we could ask these, you know, 13 super good questions to all these interesting people that we've talked to and found out so far, like, where could we go? Like, what could we find out? So I love that you ended up with podcasting because that's, you know, that's my passion too. So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm glad you guys are doing it. This is a cool format. Yeah, it's just evolving as it goes too. It's ever changing, it seems. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you got to leave it. You got to leave it room to do that and grow and evolve. Our creations teach us more than we could ever expect before the onset of the creation, right? How do you mean? Well, you can look at it like the way that people who have children, which is a very high level of creation, they learn from their children things that they never knew that they needed to learn. I mean, in fact, some beings come in as the child to certain parents and they already have certain things about them that the parent needed to witness in order to for them to grow and learn and evolve. Or when it comes to a project that is in the physical realm, like of making a podcast or painting a painting, you know, in order that by the end of it, we'll have learned things about ourselves or learned skills that we didn't expect or know were going to come about. So the, the creation itself teaches its creator more than um, we could ever really assess or comprehend. 
And I think that's part of the uh, reason why universe, why Supreme being creates us, why we as the created exist is to teach the creation. And that's part of that questioning and finding answers. And the new questions, we are a function of the expansive force of love, which is existence itself, which is life itself. I mean, absolutely. And to speak on that, and just because um, I think the creative aspect is is alive in all of us, and in, and in order to foster that and help facilitate that, I just wanted to emphasize the, the uh, open aspect portion of 13 Questions. I know we don't really facilitate it uh, too well or talk about it too often, but I think that being able to, uh, just for me, like being able to go on this journey and come how far I have so far, like to inspire other people to take that action themselves and to go out and do a recording and, you know, see within that process, you're going to learn something, right? I don't know what it is, but <laughs> it'll be fun. Right. So it, I just find it, um, you know, it's inspiring, inspired action and, and creativity is, is something that, um, is squelched really i think in squelched squashed in in modern culture because we have these things that entertain us right they they entertain our entertainment if you break that down they enter into our minds and they contain it and then they hold it right so they hold it it's mind control basically and so when we're able to funnel that creativity into projects like podcasting or whatever that's you're 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 expressing yourself that way, and that's what we're meant to do, right? Is is to create. Yeah, no, for sure. Question number seven: What was the most embarrassing or humbling experience of your life? Well, this is a hard one to answer because <laughs> uh, to really be truthful, it's quite personal, but. I guess I'll go ahead and explain it personally. <laughs> I uh, used to be married, right? And I was led into this relationship through what felt like um, synchronicity. And I followed into the same trap, I think, that many men do in today's world of this sort of uh, savior complex of, I call it the messiops because it's the Messiah psyop that is prevalent throughout the world. Maybe we could talk about that at some other point. But for me, what this looked like was sacrificing myself, what I need, what is best for me uh, and my energy into a, another person who wasn't ready for that level of uh, dynamic. Right. And so when it comes to what was embarrassing or humbling about it, was that for a long time I knew that it was not for my highest good. This is not to like talk shit on this other person, but I knew that it wasn't fully right. And uh, I kept pressing forward anyway, almost like a trying to save face or prove myself, prove to myself that I made the right choice or that I didn't waste all this time, energy, and effort in a direction that was going to ultimately fail or hurt me. And so what was embarrassing or humbling about it other than the particular details about what led to the end of it, which definitely had some embarrassment in terms of pride 
was the, you know, acceptance that I needed to make this change, that I needed to set this boundary, that what I really ought to have been doing rather than making my life about another person was to be following my highest purpose and doing that. uh, And we'll talk about that more, I think down in like question number 13, but yeah, it was embarrassing and humbling, you know, to, for the world to have to see that I made this mistake for friends and family to now feel like we have to take sides between you and them which luckily that didn't really happen. But it can be very humbling to recognize that uh, and make the courageous decision to have a big change in direction of life, especially when it comes to something as major as, you know, your life partnerships. For real, dude. I mean, I've been divorced. I don't think I've talked about it on more than my own episode. But uh, yeah, it's it's the whole it's not a good process. (laughs) You know, it's not fun for anybody. So I can relate to you there. And, um, yeah, I think the, uh, you're absolutely right. When you touched on the savior complex, like the Superman thing, I think, I don't know with products of our environment, but growing up watching all these superheroes, right. And, uh, Marvel and and whatnot, maybe that has something to do with, uh, you know, wanting to save the, save everybody, save the world. I don't know. Yeah, and it comes from the, in my opinion, misinterpretation of biblical New Testament stuff. You know, the idea that the best guy ever let the crowd kill him. And that that was what made him the best was that he sacrificed himself for the collective. And it's missing a lot of key important points of that story uh, without, you know, digressing too far into that. When we have that type of programming. It leads to things like, you know, everybody gets your cowpoke. <laughs> everybody get the the needle because you're doing it for everybody else. Even if it, you know, even if there's possible side effects or harm that comes to you, it's worth it because you did it for everybody else. Same exact mindset applies to communism and socialism and all kinds of things where the uh, myth of equality is perpetuated as well. The fact is that the only equality that exists is in the eyes of nature or our creation. We're all priceless, as in there is no value assigned because the value that we assign to things that is like monetarily uh, construed is artificial value. It's subjective. It's relative. It's all that. And we're really priceless. We're not, we're no thing. We're not a person. (laughs) We're not a, we're not a noun. We're not a thing. And yeah, when it, when we look at this whole sacrifice yourself for the collective idea and the idea of creating equality through external control, it's impossible because we all are actually quite different. And what it is that's valuable about each of us is unique and cannot necessarily be put on a comparative spectrum. So the only equality that government or in external institutions can create or ever has created is equality of misery, bringing everyone down to a lowest common denominator under the myth and the lie of a paradise and bringing everybody up to a higher level. So that is a very important realization for us to, to make in ourselves that really we shouldn't be self-sacrificing in that way 
because then if everybody sacrifices themselves to the collective or to another person, even to just one other person, that's still a form of the collective. Then we're all dead or we're all less because of this sacrifice. But if everybody takes care of themselves, loves themselves, then we're all taken care of and we're all loved. And then the few that may have a struggle or may actually need some kind of help or assistance will be aided by the very presence of the beings that have self-love because containing self and love in your body vessel, in your energetic container is like becoming a lantern that your presence shines a light there for everyone around you to see where they are and who they are. And that's all that's really needed for positive change is for awareness to be increased. You know, energy flows where attention is directed. So if there is something that needs attention, it helps a lot if you're an attentive being around that person or that situation. But yeah, if we all sacrifice ourselves, we're all screwed. But if we all love ourselves, then we're all good. It's just that simple. Question number eight. What is your greatest fear? How did you overcome it if you have? I don't know if I have overcome it, but, um, you know, I think that for me in particular, there's sort of a, a program or fear. I think it has to do with like where my South node sits and my astrological chart, but a fear of, um, you know, being alone, being lonely is a big fear. And I think that drives a lot of people, especially in the last couple of years. So for me, a good way of addressing that fear with a better perspective is another kind of word magic trick, but it goes back to the idea of the pleroma or the oneness or the no thingness in that alone is actually all one, right? So we're always alone if we're all one in the sense that our life force energy, the electricity that animates our individuated vessels is the same life force energy is the same ether that permeates all of existence and it is existence itself so we are always alone but we're always all one and so we're not really separate there is no real separation and then that can help release the the pain or the fear or the the grief of feeling lonely that the ego can get uh you know especially in lockdown world as that happened. Uh, so that helped me a lot is the realization that, you know, cause it can go both ways, actually uh, getting closer and touching, dipping your toes into the pleuromic state of oneness is also scary because it brings with it the fear that if you attain or attain might not be the right word, but if you reach a level of perception of what, you know, you might call the Godhead of the Supreme being of, uh, this whole ascension idea, which is a sticky idea and not necessarily a proponent of ascension-based ideology or ascension cults, but there's this fear that comes about that if I you know, wake up from this dream of reality, then everything and everybody that I love will disappear with it. And I don't want to leave all that behind. So I want to stay right where I'm at and be in stasis. So collapsing the paradox in your own mind and recognizing that alone and all one are actually telling you the same thing means that you don't have to be afraid of either thing that <laughs> why why would you need to be afraid of something that is the state you've always been in always will be and are currently in so that helps alleviate the fear a little bit 
for real. It, another word trick. I love it. It's another one I've never thought of before either. The all breaking down all, alone to all one. So super helpful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's helped me. Word magic is really great. It's it's so easy. It's easy in. I don't know. It just seems. I don't know. It's hard. Okay, so it's easy and it's hard because it's right in front of your face, but you don't see it all the time, right? But when now every time that I think of this word alone, right, I'm going to be able to break it down and and not have that. So you know, we just we just made a spell out of something, right? But it, it didn't exist before, and so that's why it's difficult because we have to create these things, right? Exactly. Aho. Aho. Yeah, that's just like an affirmative statement in uh, uh, native language. Question number nine. What is your greatest driving force in life and how do you further it? I think the greatest driving force in my life is the recognition that we are here to create. I remember in my early 20s how I felt this kind of void within. I felt aimless. I felt almost lifeless, you know, depressed and very unhealthy and out of shape. And um, it occurred to me at a certain point that maybe if I was creative, maybe if I was making stuff, almost didn't really matter what it was, that I would feel better, that I would feel less purposeless and aimless. And I got into creating art, you know, doing big doodles with Sharpies and uh, I started making like an hard enamel pins of different designs that I would sell to people at music festivals. And all that was really, really fulfilling, even though it was simple, even though it was, you know, it wasn't high level art or anything. And a, a big change occurred in my life whenever I started making space in my daily life for something creative. And then, you know, one thing leads to another in the sense that if you are seeking to improve your aptitude, improve your skill and generate more and more space in your life for the flow state of a creative pursuit, that health actually becomes an imperative. You know, you'll hit a wall of what it is you're able to achieve, what it is you're able to conceive based on the state of your physical body and your energy body and all all that entails health. So for me, whenever I let creativity and just the the purpose-driven life of creating, being a creator, uh, take the wheel from me, then that led me and steered me to all kinds of other upgrades in my experience, in particular, you know, the journey of continually improving my health in whatever ways I possibly could. So definitely the single greatest driving force in my life was and still is when I recognized and honored that I am a creator and that we're all creators, but in this, the latter being a big upgrade to the idea because, um, you know, eventually when I noticed and I, I became a lot healthier and happier and more fulfilled in life and felt more in alignment with synchronicity and that my spirituality was blossoming because of the fact that I was spending time creating that led me inevitably to want to spread that message that to me, the real spiritual path that is common to all of us outside of dogma, mythology, ideology is creativity. That creativity can be your entire guidance system, your entire compass for 
a spiritual development in your life. It will lead you to the places that you need to go. It will lead you to the ideas that you need to grow. And that is still the biggest driving force and how I further it. I think I already kind of touched on this, but it was through, it's through continuing to work on myself. You know, if you have, for example, behavior patterns, addictions, uh, things that take up a lot of your time, attention, or energy, then that takes away from what it is that you can funnel and channel into the vessel that it is that you're putting your creative energy into. And so furthering this driving force, expanding it, necessitates that we also let go of that which does not serve this higher purpose. I love that you tied it, you tied creativity to health. And then, and then how imperative that is because you can't create unless you're healthy, right? <laughs> well, you can, but your expressions will be limited or distorted in the same ways that your health is. Like I've seen some, I've seen some very creative psychic vampires before, but the stuff that they make, the feelings that it generates and the person looking at the, the creation is fear or unease, aversion, all these different energies that the person that is in the pattern of psychic vampirism is constantly feeling. So, yeah, I mean, we can, we can and always do create our life as the number one masterpiece as artists, but the quality of our creations definitely is completely intrinsically tied to the quality of our energy, which is also what our health is about. Well, I mean, it makes sense if you have, you know, better nutrition, B12, memory, like all these things seem to go along with that. And we are very blessed in a world to have the knowledge to be able to to plug into those tools instead of just being, you know, completely dependent on, you know, the exact world around us. We've been able to kind of narrow it down. So, yeah, it's it's everything. If your mind isn't right, you can't think right. And then you can't create. Exactly. Yeah, the distortions in your mind and in your energy body will either totally inhibit you creating what you want to create or at the very least, um, you know, damage or alter the creation in some way that is not desirable to your original intent. Because I think that we all have or at least begin with the intent to bring more goodness into the world and into our lives. And the further that we allow ourselves to be riddled with parasites and vampiric energy piercing into our field, the further away from that desire for goodness that we get to the point where we can even human beings can even convince themselves that they're not good. And then that is a dangerous place to be. Question number 10, who were or are your role models and why? Well, there's a lot of role models in my life. Um, You know, the guy that's coming to mind, though, as my first answer, is David Whitehead. He is a martial artist. He's a conspiracy, I guess you could call him conspiracy researcher. He he does a show called Truth Warrior, and he's also a co-host with Michael Tessarion on the Unslaved podcast. I've had David on my own show, I think, three times, and I've been on their Unslaved podcast quite a few times. And what I really admire about David is that very mentality we already talked about, the the warrior mindset that applies to so much more 
above and beyond just combat and fighting. And he's very disciplined. Um, you know, he's <laughs> succeeded in having uh, a beautiful family, but also a career pursuing, you know, truth as the truth warrior. I really admire that. I admire the dedication and drive to constantly know yourself better and to express the truth in whatever way is most in alignment with what you see it as without any fear of changing your mind without any, I mean, nobody's perfect. I'm not trying to put David on a pedestal, but I definitely admire what he does. Uh, and you know, there's so many more other role models that could probably come to mind, but I appreciate him because he's got the spirit of what I think it means to be, to be a, a man, you know, to have, to be the representative of the, the yang and the divine masculine in the world. I'll have to check out that podcast then. I've never, I, it's not on my list, so I'll add it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can find David's work on Rockfin. That's probably the best place to go. Uh, a lot of the other more mainstream channels, I'm sure he's been completely nuked off of by now. In particular, he's got a really good series called The Cult of the Medics, which is a newer one, exploring the uh, occult aspects of the medical mafia and how through their symbolism and through their behaviors and intentions, they mirror the oldest cults that we know of and uh, are part of the same branching network that has always attempted to steer and direct and engineer humanity for their benefit and power differential. Maybe not like your boots on the ground doctors and nurses have any idea about this, but the overarching structure and how it got into place is all a result of this very same uh, priestcraft sorcery, I would call it. Cult of the Medics, really amazing series. Yeah, I was, you know, just to tie it back into your answer to the last question about health, and I used to, and so I used to say, or used to say, I was having a conversation with with Ellie a few weeks ago or whatever, and uh, we were saying that, uh, I was saying that it used to be that uh, the game was to stay out of, not only stay out of jail, right? Uh, it used to be just stay out of jail, right? Now we have to worry about not only staying out of jail, but staying out of these medical systems that are not there to further our wellness and, and well-being, right? So it's it's even more... <laughs> There's like two two sides that we got to pay attention to now. So I don't, I don't know why it made me think of that. But uh, yeah. Question number 11. What quality do you most admire in a woman? Okay, so this is a good question. I was like, how am I going to answer that? But then as soon as you said it, it popped into mind perfectly. I mean, I admire a lot of things about women <laughs> and uh, the healthy expression of the feminine. But what I think, uh, what I, okay, what I think really a, an important aspect of the feminine in our construct would be is that in a healthy dynamic between a man and a woman, and this goes both ways to be sure, but in particular, a woman can really help a man see when his energy is off, can let him know when he's not coming correct to whatever situation or to her. And most importantly, that would apply to like, are, are you following your highest purpose right now? 
is what you're doing, saying, acting out, or or uh, expressing, is that in alignment with your highest purpose? Is it healthy? Is it uh, you know courageous? Is it truthful? So this can devolve into the archetype of like I don't know what they call like nitpickiness, right? And uh, or negativity that the feminine as the yin as the black part of the yin yang you know we have culturally and through language associated negativity with bad you know but really it's actually one side of the battery it's important for the battery to grow it's also the receptive aspect it's really negativity in its correct placement in terms of a dynamic between masculine and feminine isn't so much about you know, making somebody feel bad for what they did wrong. It's more about, and I think this has to do with why the the feminine has the cycles of, you know, their moon time that leads them to, not all of them express this way, but sometimes, you know, in one particular week of the cycle, they're more, well, negative, right? But I think the negative isn't about, isn't there in nature to be destructive or harmful other than, maybe uh, removing that which does not serve. The negativity aspect of this battery is about being realistic instead of, you know, the masculine can kind of, and we have, we both, we all have the masculine and and feminine component in ourselves, but the masculine can sometimes be so uh, overly idealistic that it becomes out of alignment with truth or with what is, what was currently uh, in reality, in the consensus shared reality. So I really appreciate in a, a quality in a woman that can let you know whenever you're off in some way, but not in a way that is purposefully trying to tear you down or make you feel bad. In fact, if you are in a relationship of any kind as a man out there, or actually this applies to women too, really these dynamics apply to both men and women because we both have the I'm and the ohm. <laughs> but I'm so I'm specifically really talking about the feminine aspect of consciousness more than necessarily just women. But if uh if in relationship or friendship of any kind, if the other, if you can detect and feel that they're actually on purpose trying to make you feel shitty about something or continually saying things in a way or expressing to you in a way that is intending to make you feel bad about what you did or how you are. That is a red flag. And though I think best, the best middle ground option and expression of this yin energy for the man's benefit and for the man's growth is when you can have your course corrected in a sense, you can be, you can have your attention redirected to become aware of somewhere that you're off balance or not, you know, not an alignment without being made to feel like you're lacking or less or a failure for doing so, but in an encouraging way, like, Hey, did you realize that this is how you're acting right now? And you could do it like this, you know, here's another option. I really appreciate that in a woman. Does this all make sense? Yeah, dude, it makes 100% sense. Um, and being able to do that without uh, making those corrections without doing it in a judgmental way in in, in which the receiver of said, uh, I don't know, criticism will, won't feel attacked, right? So, which will allow us to 
make course corrections, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's exactly what it's there for. That's what the negative side of the battery is there for, to help bring us back into alignment with reality and truth, not to be corrosive or degradatory. Yeah. Yeah, dude, you laid it out, you know, 100%. I agree. Very well said. <laughs> yeah, I really admire that <laughs> in, a, in a female. Yeah, that's a great answer. Thank you. Question number 12. What is the most courageous thing you have ever done or seen in your life? Oh, my answer in terms what's coming to mind is what feels like the most courageous thing I've ever done. And it isn't going to seem like, you know, superhero storming the beaches of Normandy, running face first into a hail of bullets type of courage. <laughs> but for me, it was, it really took a lot of time and effort and continual faith in myself and courage to make the transition from feeling like I needed to work at uh, jobs that I didn't love or that felt in, not in alignment with my highest truth and calling in order to survive. So at the point when I was able to let that go and become a full-time doer of my own thing, that to me took a lot of courage and took a long time to build up that courage. And part of what helped me get there was realizing that universe actually wants you to follow your hell. Yes. It actually wants you to be in the flow state of your greatest excitement and most fun. Uh, universe is experiencing itself through you. So if you are courageous enough to do that, which feels best and is most exciting universe is going to actually put a lot more energy into you as a vessel. It's going to pay more attention to you. It's going to experience more of itself through you. It's going to say, wow, this particular vessel of me <laughs> of universe is really shiny, really fun. Let's send it more fun. Let's do more excitement. So another way of framing that is that when you do what is right, then unseen forces come to your aid. And when you set boundaries for yourself and in the world that no longer allow you to do that, which feels like a compromise or that, which is uh, out of alignment with your greatest truth, the universe will also reorganize its own offerings to you to be in alignment with those boundaries because you are it, you are universe. So at the point where you jump off the cliff into your entrepreneurial life or your spiritual path or calling, and you leave behind the childish things of being afraid that you have to follow the herd in order to get the resources you need to survive, that is super in alignment with the highest capital T truth of reality, which is that the external world is literally in your mind and it is completely a reflection in it as within, so without. Uh, manner of your personal energy. So in nature, before all this society and civilization construct was going on, how did human beings even sustain themselves? And, you know, this mythical hunter-gatherer state, if there ever even was such a time. But we know that hunter-gatherers do exist. So we'll just use them as an example without necessarily needing to place them in a particular evolutionary timeline that may or may not be accurate. The, what it is, is that beings in that particular configuration of life, they exist in nature, nature provides for them. And when they need what they need, it shows up or 
they do the ritual or the rain dance or the they have a dream about where they're going to find the next big game that they need to bring down and provide food for their village, whatever the case may be. So whenever you take the leap of faith and you have the courage to follow what is right for you and you trust in it and you're not, you're not feeling like that fear of constriction of it, things have to be a certain way in order for me to survive or be okay, you'll find that each opportunity that synchronistically presents itself to you, if you courageously take that opportunity, even if you don't know where the next opportunity will be, the next one will show up when it needs to, but not until not until you take the one that you've currently been offered. And it's not like if you miss an opportunity, then you're screwed and you fail. A better way of looking at it is even if one passes you by, there will always be the next one. And the universe is wanting you to trust that that is what flow state is all about. You take this step, then you take that step. And it's like in the uh, Indiana Jones movie, the one about the Holy Grail, <laughs> where he's got to walk across the invisible bridge. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And you may not know what the next step is after that. But it's very much like art. In art, you may have an idea of what outcome you're directing yourself towards, right? But if you try to think it through in every step, every brushstroke, and conceptualize and hold in your mind the entire process of every single move you're going to make from start to finish for the canvas to be complete and to manifest the vision that you're holding in your mind for what you want it to be, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't hold all those steps in your mind at once. And the universe doesn't want you to be that overloaded with needing to know every little detail about how things are going to play out. Instead, you look at it like the difference between a creative person and someone who believes that they are not creative is that the creative person just does shit, right? They look at the blank canvas and where the belief of being uncreative, that individual sees the blank canvas and goes, I don't know what to do. The creative person, the one in touch with their imagination, they just make a choice. They start with one brushstroke, and then that leads them to the next brushstroke. It's just like the question thing. It's just like the dendrites thing. The difference between creative and uncreative is being decisive and not being afraid that you're going to make the wrong decision and ruin everything. And instead, trusting that there is no wrong answer when it comes to the creative process. I mean, you may make a decision that in a future iteration of the creative process, because of a previous way things went, you're like, I'm not going to do it that way this time. I'm going to try this way. And that's great. That's learning. That's, you know, you're spiritually evolving. But don't be afraid that you're going to screw up so much that you're going to fail and be ruined. And that definitely applies to taking the leap of faith out of the Babylon matrix and into the flow state of perpetual synchronicity, following your highest and greatest excitement and only allowing for the hell yes and saying no to anything else. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I could say a lot more about this, but. Maybe I'll just hold it there. Oh, that's great. I, I love, um, you know, the whole le taking a leap of faith and trusting in it. I, I like to, th I like to say that if we, or I like to think of it as like, you know, if we're the universe and the universe is us, then obviously we have our own back. So the universe is going to have our back. So there's really nothing to worry about in, in terms of, you know, what does the process look like? How do I arrive from where I am now to where my creative goal lies, right? In the alternative space. So yeah, I, I, I thank you for your answer. <laughs>
Well, and I, I too love that idea of seeing it as in a shiny thing, you know, that the universe will fill the vessels that are making the, the effort. And, and to me, this is a beautiful as above, so below. I think of how mycelium will modulate and change which nutrients and water are given to which plants based on the environment, which is ultimately creating the world that we live in, that we are part of, that we can then use our creativity to affect this ecosystem, this balance around us. And if you take that steps further to think that there are other things out there that we may not understand, but are gunning and filling and, you know, pushing us in directions that, yeah, maybe it is just, you know, it, it's not necessarily, uh, uh, it's just being open and allowing yourself to expand into something else. Because if you don't allow that expansion, then the universe isn't going to do it. So yeah, it's, that's a very, I, I love that, that, that frame of reference and, and viewpoint. Yeah. I mean, it applies to if you're in the Babylon employment system and it's not what you really feel called to be doing. I mean, you could potentially have a job, if you will, working for somebody else. And it could be you following your greater purpose and your highest excitement. I'm not ruling that out, but just realize that if the belief is that you need this to survive and that it's tough out there to survive and you got to make compromises and self-limiting choices in order to get the resources you need to put food on the table. Well, that's exactly how universe will provide for you. It will provide for you in that sort of constricted, limited, just barely enough way. But think about your life. You've always had enough. You're still alive right now. <laughs> You've made it this far. Actually, I long ago applied this concept to before I managed to, you know, get out of other types of work that weren't my highest passion. Maybe this helped me get there. Was I applied this idea to food and I started, I set a boundary for myself that I'm only going to eat clean. I'm only going to eat the organics or at the very minimum, like non-GMO, if I don't have the option for organic, I'm going to stop going to restaurants, definitely not fast food. And this type of food can cost more potentially, but I set the baseline expectation of what food costs and what food is to this higher standard and years later, here I am still okay, still fine on money. <laughs> you know, it didn't, it didn't ruin me. It didn't financially bankrupt me that I spent more on money. Whereas other people, the way they see food is just like putting gas in a tank and the cheapest option will work because we just need to fill that tank. And that also programs universe and programs your own behavior to be able to accept that bare minimum lowest quality. And so, you know, that's what you'll get and that's what you'll give yourself. And I, how I look at it is now that I've got this baseline expectation and knowledge of what it is that food costs, if I'm going to be buying it from grocery stores, uh, then everything, uh, every, I always have enough for that. <laughs> and then that's my baseline, if that makes sense. So I'm expanding from that as the setting the bar point rather than in this limited bar setting point well the universe is gunning for your nutrition so you know that's the the positive side that the energy is always going to flow to definitely question number 13 what does it mean to be a man in today's world i think it means a lot of stuff but more than ever i think to express the masculine aspect of our consciousness to express the i'm right now in the world for men and women, but you know, maybe especially for men, I guess 
it is about standing up for and speaking up for the truth and what is right. We've seen long enough, I think, I mean, for the entire history of humanity that we're aware of, but especially the last couple of years, that going along to get along, you're going to get more of what you allow and what has been given to you. So we need to not go along to get along. We need to, I guess, resist (laughs) in a way, not resist in a combative sense, but just like, you know, it can be done lovingly. For example, um, you got to put your face diaper on here. You can't come in. Well, what if you just don't go in then if there's no way around that? Or what if you approach that situation like bring some humor to it or, you know, express to them that you can tell that this is a tricky and hard balancing beam to walk on, but express to the, you know, the one that is trying to enforce the, the hive mind on you that, Hey, I see that this is kind of a hassle for you to even try to enforce this on me. And, you know, uh, I'm not mad at you for this, but I'm not going to do it. And is there any way around this that isn't that we can both, you know, exist within our necessary frameworks. And if not, then just don't do it. Like you got to, don't go into that place if you have to. I think that's okay if you got to make an exception. Like you really need to fly somewhere and there's no way no way around it. They're not going to let you on. Whatever. But generally, if in as many places as we can do it, we speak up, we say what we know is right and true, and we don't shy away from that and hide from that out of fear of how we're going to be perceived or fear of how society is going to restrict or limit us for not going along with their their group collective narrative, the more that we can make those stands, the less of what we don't what we don't want and what doesn't serve us is going to be present in our reality. So I know it's a little different in different places for sure, but and you don't need to beat yourself up for your ability to be perfect at this, but just as your general guiding principle to stand up for and speak up for what you know is right and what you know is true is the way of the warrior in today's culture because we're not going out and fighting wars anymore hopefully theoretically most of us as men we're no longer in a modality of society where it's particularly necessary to defend our castle against the hordes of barbarians or what have you but also to be ready for that too it's better to be as they say a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war so uh, and this kind of goes along with the masculine feminine dynamic i think Honestly, I think women, they don't want a violent man per se, but I think women do are a little bit, at least if not highly attracted innately to the idea that a man could be dangerous if he needed to be. So um, being too soft, too gentle, uh, too passive and allowing for things in the external world to steamroll right over you. And having, you know, no physicality to your form, having no strength, having no drive to uh, be stronger. I mean, I'm talking physically, but also in all levels, because getting yourself physically stronger applies to your whole energy system and body, you know, doing hard stuff, lifting heavy weights. I like to go rock climbing, for example, because uh, I mean, it's fun for one, but having something that's a pattern in my life and existence and all that where... I have to exert maximum effort at something to succeed. 
how many things are there in our lives anymore that require us to exert maximum effort? Very few, actually. So if you can find a channel and an outlet where you're required to exert maximum effort in order to succeed or progress, then you are activating your ability to try hard (laughs) to exert maximum effort in other areas. So it's very important to have those, whether it's from lifting weights or other types of, uh, you know, athletic endeavors, I think very vital for the masculine to be in a, to have created a body for themselves where if they needed to, you know, should hit the fan that they could trust that the situation was going to be okay. Cause they, they are there whether that comes through martial arts, which I'd love to get into again, or just being physically fit enough that at the very least you're competent and could, you know, do something hard if it needed to be done. Uh, All of that is important to being a man in today's world. And what seems to be the hard thing for a lot of people is to just stand up for what is true and what is right and what is correct and what is moral. And I do think that that requires maybe that we accept that there is a moral function to universe that there is a type of moral or natural law and if we are in this sort of subjective la la land where there's no such thing as truth then you know everything's relative it's true that all perspectives on truth are relative but the what is and the all is what it is i am what i am so there is objective truth there is moral law there's moral truth that is intrinsic and baked into the universe because you know just fuck around and find out if you will (laughs) how you make other people feel what you do to others it happens back to you sometimes threefold sometimes sevenfold and to me that is the evidence and proof that morality is a function of universe and why would that be you know if we live in a cold indifferent mechanistic materialist reality then that doesn't make sense. But if we realize that we are universe and we are meaning generating beings and that being itself is the generation of meaning, existence itself is what and where meaning comes from in the sense that it's always expanding. Existence and life continues to grow and expand always as a function or an image or reflection of the greater totality of all that, then it only makes sense that we also If we are making meaning, if we have an intrinsic conscience and compass morally, then universe does too. And so following our version of that, listening to the still small voice within, recognizing how we made someone else feel through the function of empathy, and recognizing how we feel and having empathy for ourselves, all of these are necessary components to eventually, hopefully, spiritually ascend to the level of knowing yourself well enough to not transgress against what is innately true, correct, beautiful, and right. And there's a lot more we could say about that, but I think that's generally what the masculine's role is in universe is to serve and defend and uphold that greater truth of reality that we are indeed all connected, that uh, the individual the I'm, as opposed to just the ohm, is also important, and um, that they're actually two parts of the same coin. And if we sacrifice the I'm in service to the ohm, if we kill our individuality, if we slaughter our ego and join the Borg hive mind transhumanist 
agenda, well, the ohm also suffers. The ohm also degrades and loses the generative principle and becomes a lifeless thing, an uncreative thing, and ushers in the reign of cold, dead matter. As uh, who was it that said that? <laughs> well, Michael Hoffman called it that. And yeah, that's um, our job is to guard at the gates of our own mind and of our own consciousness against that type of uh, you know, force that seeks to cannibalize our own individuality in service to a collective that can't even exist without the individuals within it. That is very well said. You have, uh, you have a very, you're a, wizard, a word wizard. <laughs> um, I don't have anything to add to that. Uh, Adam, do you have any, any thoughts? No. So well said. Yeah. Well, did you want to plug anything that you, uh, you have currently working on any projects in the, in the, in the irons in the fire, so to speak? Oh yeah. I've always got a lot of those, but they can find anyone listening can find more of my work at innerversepodcast.com. I do the weekly show Innerverse, which is always deep, always good time. And also I have a weekly live show that's on YouTube and Rockfin. And I post it to my RSS feeds later, but it's most fun to check it out live with the video component and participate. It's called Vibe Rant. So there's usually two shows a week I'm doing of my own, but I'm on a lot of other shows too. And I try to keep everybody updated through my website and my telegram group is the best place to stay in touch with me and connect with the community of other interversers, if you will. So my telegram channel will be linked on the website as well under the chat tab, or just search for interverse on telegram. You'll probably find it as well. You can Get in touch with me for one-on-one -on -one client work. I do, as I alluded to, sound healing. And I use tuning forks and it works remotely because we're all connected etherically. And I can assist with the strengthening and balancing of your energy field and um, bringing awareness to places that are block it, blockages in your energy field and how that pertains to mindset and trauma. And by bringing your attention to that, it can help your energy flow in new and expansive ways. I also do one-on-one -on -one work with clients using uh, tarot cards and I Ching. So if you want like an oracle session with me where it constitutes spiritual counseling or guidance, if you will, but in the form of I'm presenting you with these cards and explaining their meaning, and then you are reflecting on that within and seeing how it connects to where you're currently at in your life. And those are very powerful and helpful as well. So love doing the one-on-ones with people. Uh, I've also been working on audiobooks as a narrator a little bit. I've only got one out that people can check out so far, but it's called Spirit World, July's End. And it's by Dylan Sicosio, an amazing author, great uh, etymological researcher and syncretist. And that book is extremely helpful for undoing the hex of heliocentrism and priestcraft sorcery that has been cast upon all of us by our you know belief of the external savior and our sort of need for that in order to relinquish our personal responsibility for life and it's time to take that back it's time to reintegrate and internalize the light instead of externalizing the most high because we are all expressions of supreme being we are all supreme being and doesn't put one above the other. It just means that we need to take 
charge again of who and what we are in our place in the great web of existence that we could enjoy rather than, you know, suffer through. So I do all those things and probably more, but interversepodcast.com is where they can find my my things or if they want to get in touch with me for one-on-one client work, you can email me chance at interversepodcast.com or find me on my telegram group and get in touch that way. Yeah, your telegram, I'm in your telegram group. Um I have been for a while kind of lurking, <laughs> but it's a great, seems like a great community. Um, Telegram is, is cool. You know, seems like a cool place to be from what I've experienced so far. So uh, yeah. And uh, the tuning fork thing, I actually went to uh, my sound healer earlier this week. Um, I'd love to set up a session with you sometime and maybe, I don't know if you, I, you want to do it live. Maybe we can make a thing out of it. I don't know. That, it would be fun. Yeah, let's do that. I'd love to do a, a session with you. I don't know if I want to do it live yeah, because know. it would be, you know, these in these one-on-one situations, like it gets kind of personal. <laughs> but I do have available on my website, if they find the shop tab and then go down to sound healing, there's a video on there from the beginning of the year where I did a group sound healing session that that is free and anybody can listen to that as many times as they want. And receive the um, the benefit of that and maybe a little less specific to one's individuated uh, configuration than doing a one-on-one. But I know for certain that the group session is definitely helpful for toning up anybody that wants to listen to it. Awesome. Well, I'm going to check that out for sure. Yeah. Other than that, Adam, do you have any closing thoughts? Yeah, nothing specific, but just overall in general, um, really just absolutely enjoyed the entire conversation. Um, uh, just, I don't know, at least for me, just it, it kept speaking and wrapping back to that that oneness, that as above, so below. You know, at the end of the day, you know, fear really is the the thing that that hold us holds us back. And if we like, if we understood, like, it's not that it's a truth, but you know, if the truth really was that, you know. Uh, what's really important is the moment and energy always goes on and you're always part of the system in some way, in a way that you don't understand. But the fear is what prevents us from doing great things. If we knew that, but you can feel it and you can understand it. And if you can ride that, then your potential is just so much greater. And, you know, like you said, you know, uh, the universe kind of fills, fills you up. Yeah. I love it, man. I'm really grateful for these 13 questions. I was a little, intimidated by them when i saw the list i was like man i don't know my answers to that but here we are on the other side of it and i feel like i know myself better so thank you for the opportunity awesome yeah that's exactly what we like to hear awesome thank you for carving out some time to spend with us on saturday on a saturday afternoon especially on that word time because you know it's the most valuable thing that you can give and offer and present somebody it is a a piece of your place here in time so thank you so much for that Thank you, guys. I can't wait to share this with everybody. I don't want to hold my name. 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 I don't want to hold my name.
Why do parents gotta bury their kids? Why we text and drive, not caring how scary it is? Why it's so hard to forgive and leave the past behind? And if you did, then that's divine. Why don't you help your brother when you see him fall? Why do we act like God don't see it all? Why do we call them black, them white, them Asians and use labels? Now that's racism. I don't wanna Why? I don't wanna Why? Why is there innocent people locked up for life? While some people can't say nothing nice. Why do we always gotta question what all of it means? And why won't you follow your dreams? Tell me why. The night when you took my dad, why'd you let me see my grandpa cry? And tell me why, and why did you choose to hide, even though you was born to fly? And tell me why, and why don't we turn from all the hate? And why don't we learn from all mistakes? Why do I keep on wrecking these fat beats? And teachers don't make more than professional athletes, and why? This should be considered entertainment and not therapy. We hope you benefit from our resources available at 13questionspodcast.com. Thank you for listening.